friend, and how are you today? I hope you're doing well. I certainly am. It's a, uh, another chilly day in the nation's capital of Ottawa, Canada, because it is winter. We are in the middle of January. So, let's warm up with some jazz, shall we? Five songs, five stories. This is Songs and Stories, Supplemental Jazz Edition, Part 75. 75 episodes in. To think it all started as a lark, and here we are, 75 shows later. That's about 75 plus hours of jazz songs and stories for you. So today, five songs, five stories, as as the show does go, I've got some classic uh, hard pops up for you. I'm going to start off with one from the 1955 recording of Hamp and Getz. Record was recorded in a single day, August first, August first, nineteen fifty-five, at Radio Recorders in Hollywood, California. Going to start it off with the composition titled "Louise," originally written by Leo Robin and Richard A. Whiting. Sit back, relax, and let the jazz flow forth. <laughs> Thank you. 
reissued as a compact disc. There were two additional cuts. An alternate take of the track Gladys and another uh, composition titled Headache. The author is unknown for that record, so it may, that that composition, it may very well have just been a a one-off in-studio jam for all we know. Time will never, time will never be able to tell us because it is lost. Now, on that record, uh, Lionel Hampton, of course, playing the vibraphone, Stan Getz, the tenor sax. You had Mr. Lou Levy on piano, Leroy Vinegar on bass, Michelle Mann on the drums. The trombonist was a possible studio musician because that individual is also unnamed. Perhaps the trombonist was the person who wrote Headache, which was an additional cut on the compact disc, never on the vinyl issue. Highly regarded at the time when it was released in 1955, All Music rewarded the album with four and a half stars, stating that the cool tenor of Stan Getz and the extroverted vibraphonist Lionel Hampton might have seemed like an unlikely matchup, but uh, once again, extraordinary producer Norman Grant showed his talents at combining complementary talents of each individual. Classic music from two of the best. Lionel Hampton, the late Lionel Hampton, who passed away in uh, 2002 at the age of 94 after a 75-year career in jazz. You know the old saying, find something you love to do and earn a living at it and you'll never work a day in your life? Well, I think you could say that for uh, Lionel Hampton. 75 years as a player. And he played with literally everyone in his career. His awards, my goodness, they must total about 40 or 50, starting with 1954, his very first award. He was provided, or provided, awarded the Israel Statehood Award. 57, the American Goodwill Ambassador Award by President Dwight D. Eisenhower. 68, he received the Papal Medal from Pope Paul VI. I mean, the man's career was extraordinary. Not only did it span three generations, but it influenced literally millions of jazz musicians. And as the saying goes, the world was never the same thereafter. He did uh, tour and, and record right up until the very end of his life. Stunning individual as a musician, and I'm told was an absolutely charming person as well. Now, Mr. Stan Getz, he died at a much younger age, um, 11 years prior in 1991 at the age of 64. He, uh, well, Stan Getz, I've, I've played a lot of his music over the time, over the years. He unfortunately had, uh, he died from liver cancer and uh, much too young. If 
If anybody was to be asked, he was uh, too young to go when he did. But that is, you know, that's cancer for you. It takes so many of us at such a young age. Stan, of course, was also a, a who's who, and recorded with a who's who of jazz, including Chet Baker, to name just one individual. Chick Corea, Stanley Clark, Tony Williams. You know, Oscar Peterson, Dizzy Gillespie... Uh, Max Roach, Herb Ellis, Ray Brown, kind of a who's who of the jazz uh, scene. He also played with uh, Horace Silver for a while after he had heard him uh, play in a trio in Hartford, Connecticut in 1950. He loved it. He thought, this is, um, this is what I want to do. Mr. Stan Getz and Mr. Lionel Hampton, two of uh, the all-time greats. Let's move it along, shall we? Now, this next composition is by uh, Mr. Donald Byrd. And, well, I've played quite a few songs by this individual in the past. This particular cut is from his 1961 recording, Royal Flush. The album, again, recorded in a single day, September 21st, 1961, at the Van Gelder Studios in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey, clocking in at 41 minutes. Royal Flush. Great name for a record, if you ask me. This is his um, interpretation of the uh, Joel Heron, Frank Sinatra, and Jack Wolf composition. I'm a fool to want you. Enjoy.
Now how is that for a spectacular composition? I'm a fool to want you. That is my favorite interpretation of that classic. I just find his uh, playing is just so, well, certainly sad. But it, it just sounds, well, like his heart's been poured out. Not every artist can do that with an instrument. And yet that's exactly what Mr. Bird did. He passed away in the age, at the age of 80 in February of 2013 after a very long and illustrious career recording with the likes of Thelonious Monk, John Coltrane, Jackie McLean, and of course, Herbie Hancock, who he was very much a mentor for. Herbie Hancock uh, talked about how he, he encouraged him to make his debut album for Blue Note, and convinced him that he should absolutely never give away his publishing rights. So when Herbie was in the offices meeting with the label executives, they were trying to convince him to relinquish his uh, publishing rights in exchange for recording the record. And Herbie was like, nope, not doing it. He got up to walk out, and they relented. Let him keep his rights. And as a result... Herbie Hancock's tune Watermelon Man off his first record became a chart-topping hit. He started receiving pretty substantial royalties, and his first royalty check of $6,000 he used to buy his first car, a 1963 Shelby Cobra, which, by the way, was recommended by Donald Bird. Herbie Hancock still owns that car, and it is now the oldest production Cobra still in the original owner's hands. So for you car folk, there's a little piece of trivia there. Maybe you didn't know. Maybe you did. He did play, Mr. Donald Bird played um, with the late great Eric Dolphy in Paris two weeks before Dolphy died from insulin shock. The man was, like I said, unbelievably influential. He convinced Herbie Hancock to join uh, Miles Davis' uh, quintet when he, was, uh, when he was offered a position by Miles. And at least, at first, uh, Herbie was a little bit intimidated by Miles Davis and didn't want to join the band, but Donald was like, no, you absolutely should. You could learn and grow from this. And he did. Now, Mr. Donald Byrd um, studied and practiced at funk, jazz funk, soul, and R&B, along with the hard bop you just heard. The man was a very diverse musician, and although he, he, you know, leaned into funk and soul, he remained a hard bop jazz artist. Interesting fellow. Great musician. His full name, by the way, for those of you who may be curious, is Donaldson Toussaint L'Ouverture Bird II. That's a bit of a mouthful. He was uh, born in 1932 in Detroit, Michigan. Grew up uh, middle class. His father, Elijah Thomas Bird, was a Methodist minister. Greatly valued education. and Saw to it that his son Donald would be well educated. I think he did us good. 
I think he did us all good because Donald was able to provide us with that beautiful music. Okay. There's an aircraft flying in the background. I hope the microphone doesn't pick it up, but I can certainly hear it. I'll try and eliminate it later if I can. (laughs) The next composition up for tap, up for play today, is from Miles Davis, the Miles Davis Quintet, from the album Workin' with the Miles Davis Quintet. This is four.
with the Miles Davis Quintet, his second, second great quintet, I should say. Of course, that was uh, featuring the work of um, John Coltrane as tenor sax, Red Garland on piano, Paul Chambers on the bass and the cello, and Philly Joe Jones on the drums. Now, this album, in conjunction with three additional albums, were all recorded on two sessions on uh, May 11th, 1956, and October 26th, 1956. This particular record, Workin', with the Miles Davis Quintet, was released in January of 1960. So four years it was shelved for. But because of the contractual um, obligations that Miles had, they decided to write and record a bunch of music in two shots. To, so two recording sessions to record a total of four albums. Workin', Relaxin', Steamin' and Cookin'. And each title, of course, left off the G and just had an apostrophe after the end. So Workin', Relaxin', Steamin' and Cookin' with the Miles Davis Quintet. Four brilliant records. So much so that every rating I can find for it basically gives it five out of five stars, with the exceptions. The Rolling Stone album guide gives it five out of five. The Rolling Stone jazz record guide gives it four out of five. I don't understand that. <laughs> all about jazz, all music, downbeat, the Encyclopedia of Popular Music, all give it five stars. The Penguin Guide to Jazz Recordings, three and a half out of four stars. So somebody found something wrong with it, but I guess some critics just don't want to give somebody a perfect score. I don't know why, though, because that's a pretty ridiculously good record. Of course, that composition four was first recorded in 1954 by Miles Davis. Um, and it was written in conjunction, or with, I should say, Eddie Vinson, Eddie Cleanhead Vinson. He claimed ownership for the song. So it's tough to say whether it was Miles or, or Eddie. Um, they both were credited with the original composition. But then the version on Workin' is credited to Eddie Vinson, or Miles Davis alone, I should say, but it was Eddie Vinson who wrote it, maybe? We're not entirely sure. Of course, um, Eddie Vinson was a brilliant musician in his own right. Um, born December uh, 1917 and passed away in 1988 at the age of 70. Eddie Cleanhead Vinson, Cleanhead because he shaved his head. I guess from what had happened uh, at the time in the uh, 1930s he he was uh, he his hair was destroyed by lye containing a hair straightening product so it necessitated in him shaving it off he liked the look so he maintained it from here on out now robert friscow was a well-known critic from the village voice along with playboy magazine he was a critic for playboy as well he called Vincent one of the cleanest and nastiest blues voices you'll ever hear. So, tough to say who who actually composed that track. Maybe it was a little bit of both. Maybe it was Eddie. Maybe Miles just claimed it. Who knows? They're both long gone, so it's tough to say. Either way, it's a great composition, and I like it. So, up next, I'm going to quote my good buddy Davy John Pacheco as he said more than once and I've repeated more than once 
If you want to do it nice, you got to do it twice. So here's another composition from Donald Byrd from the 1959 recording of Bird in the Hand. This is Donald Byrd with Here I Am.
Oh yeah. Another absolute classic from Donald Byrd. From the album Bird in Hand. Isn't that a, an absolute swinger, as the kids would say? It just hums along ever so sweetly. Recorded the 31st of May, 1959, at the Van Gilder Studio in Hackensack, New Jersey, in the jazz hard bop style. Bird in Hand is the name of the album. Here I Am is the name of the composition. I sometimes mix those things up because I'm, you know, I've had lots of concussions. <laughs> now, that composition was written by Mr. Donald Byrd. An absolute classic. And it has become a jazz standard over the, over the, uh, over the years because that's, oh my goodness, it's what, 64 years ago they recorded it. 64 years ago this May. And it still stands up. But then again, a, a classic hard bop like that would only do that. Stand up and do so for decades to come. Okay, so on that record, the uh, additional musicians featured were Charlie Rose, tenor sax, Pepper Adams on the baritone sax, Walter Davis Jr. on piano, Sam Jones on the bass, and Art Taylor on the drums, with, of course, Mr. Donald Byrd on the trumpet. Great record. Five stars from all music, three out of four from the Penguin, Penguin Guide to Jazz. Almost, almost pulled a um, penguin. <laughs> Who's the actor who had a hard time with the word penguin and now he can't pronounce it correctly? Plays um, Doctor Strange, Benedict Cumberbatch. Has a hard time with the word penguin. He says it P-E-N-G. U-I-N, penguin. Anyway. I'm babbling and wondering, and sometimes that happens. It is a Sunday after all, and I'm sipping on some coffee, trying to get the caffeine into my system so that I can be awake enough to take on the day. And, you know, I'll give you a full confession here. I have to admit, when I was up earlier and I sat down in front of the computer to record this show, I was not in a good headspace to do it. I was kind of having a bit of an anxiety attack. Nothing horrible, mind you, but enough to just say, no, we got to walk away for a bit, do some breathing exercises, and chill out. I mean, nobody wants an anxious person talking about jazz, right? We need to be calm, cool, collected, and provide it and deliver it in a soothing voice. Otherwise, I think it defeats the purpose of the show, does it not? Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm being a little too hard on myself. But that does happen sometimes. All right. One more composition today, and this is from the 1960 recording, um, released in the third week of May of 1961, recorded in April 28th of 1960 at the Van Gilder Studio in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey, on the Blue Note label produced by Alfred Lyon, from the album Leeway. This is Lee Morgan with... His interpretation of the Jackie McLean composition, Midtown Blues. I think you're going to like this one. I know, I love it.
with his interpretation of the Jackie McLean composition, Midtown Blues. Recorded April 28th, 1960, released May of 1961. Absolute swinger of a tune. Midtown Blues. From the album Leeway. Now, Lee Morgan was only 22 at the time of the recording. Pretty amazing when you think somebody so young could play with such depth and inspiration. Almost sounded like he was quite a bit older. I guess he was an old soul in many ways. Sadly, he was taken from us just uh, 11 years later at the age of 33 by his um, estranged uh, common-law wife who shot him outside of a club in New York City. (sighs) Sad end to a beautiful musical life. But sometimes that's just the way things roll, right? Okay. Hate to end on a sad note, so let's end on an upbeat note, shall we? Since sitting down to start recording this show, I'm feeling much, much better. My breathing exercises and happy thoughts, along with the medication, I think, have helped to make a difference today. The anxiety is gone and I'm very relaxed. I hope you are too. I hope your day is wonderful. Your life is filled with happiness. Until we meet again, my friends, I will be back soon with another installation, another episode, another part. Part 76 of Songs and Stories Supplemental Jazz Edition will be coming soon, I do promise you that. Till we meet again, take care. Bye.